Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, and more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowing as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Now, every week I read a few of your letters as our way of respecting the role you play and making our show successful. Last week our show was all about the bond. Lynn McTaggart was our guest, and she proposed that the theory advanced in our modern culture underlying competition was all wrong. Indeed, it is her opinion that the evolutionary biologists, psychologists, and the like are all in error. Now, Freud made it clear in his seminal work, Civilization and its Discontent, that our species is destined to struggle with its inner selfish urges, always in conflict with a higher need, with society's need the conflict of id and superego. And Thomas Hobbes was convinced that man was born into fear, lived in fear, and only turned over control to another, such as a government, for purposes of survival. Biologist Richard Dawkins claims we are all selfish genes. And I could go on, but the point is this. According to McTaggart, these people have it all wrong. We are wired to share and care and cooperate, not compete. Now, I must admit, I like the idea, but I find it difficult to integrate. Indeed, I think we're wired for both. That said, when I look into nature, I find avarice and carnivorous behavior everywhere. Competition is everywhere. Every species competes. Even the trees on my ranch compete for sunlight. And in the process, often smaller, lesser disadvantaged trees die. I remember my first read of Karl Marx. And how much I love the idea of utopia. An idea Marx uh, borrowed from Sir Thomas More in his book by the same title. My generation often tried out communes and the like, only to discover that they really didn't work. Now, in fairness to Lynn, she made it clear that her idea was not one of communism or socialism per se. But with that said, how do you replace our capitalistic system with something non-competing? that works and fails to resemble the ideas of either communism or socialism. I don't know. For me, I got stuck. Again, I like the idea, and for that matter, I still like the notion of utopia, but the pragmatist in me is unable to mobilize the idea. Now, Kenny wrote, I heard your guest say no to Darwin and then give an example that is very Darwinian. Adaptation of a species to its environment for purposes of survival is survival of the fit. How can she say this is an example of cooperation? Thomas wrote, I really like Lynn's book, The Field, but I think she hasn't quite worked this one out. There is a lot of evidence for cooperation, but as much and more for competition when you do the research. You know, Thomas, I think you hit on it. The fact is we are both competitive and cooperative by nature. Perhaps what we need is a reconciliation of sorts between the two, one where we recognize the value in some forms of competition, and one where we enhance the virtues of cooperation. Balance is opposed to one or the other, but then isn't that what most of us are striving for anyway? 
Okay, Elaine wrote, Hi, Eldon, great show today. I really enjoyed communicating with Ravinder, especially on the nature of duality in our world. All right, Rav, share this. Uh, remind our audience again of your chat log and how they can view it even after the live broadcast. You know, the chat log, you can see the chat at eldontaylor.com forward slash chat. And then if you go to the archives for any of the shows, you can see the um, the chat log there. And it just remains up the whole time. So even if they're not in the chat room or even if they listen during a rebroadcast, mm-hmm. not during the live show, they can participate in these duality conversations. The conversation last week was amazing. It was It was definitely deep. It was you know, on the path to enlightenment. It's not there because it is a journey. But there were some pretty great discussions going on and everyone contributed. It was, it was really well, cool. We had a couple of comments out of the chat room that I'm going to read today. Divadoc wrote, The race for a cure is about competition. The company that finds a cure first for cancer wins the prize. Well, and for that matter, Divadoc, so does every single patient in need of that cure. Mod Girl wrote, is Lynn talking about competition? She seems to be really referring to emptiness, loneliness. It's the desire to fill it up that seems to increase selfishness. That's a good point, Mod Girl. Bill wrote, the community concept interview with Lynn McTaggart was new information. I liked it. Maybe it relates to why people don't fare as well, longevity-wise, as married people. On the other hand, that reminds me of a joke. Statistics tell us that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That means 50% of marriages end in death. Cute, Bill. Really cute. <laughs> to be or not to be married, that remains the question. I don't, maybe you can have serial deaths that way. I don't know. Mark, <laughs> Mark wrote, I enjoy listening to your weekly radio shows, including the one Tuesday with Lynn McTaggart. I want to let you know that. Like many people, I've become fed up with the polarization in Washington, D.C. and beyond. It seems that if we as a nation are going to make any real progress, we'll first need to somehow rise above this polarization and move to a more constructive conversation that takes into account the concerns of both major political parties. Well, amen to that, Mark. Lisa wrote, Hi, Eldon. I'm not sure if I agree with what Lynn McTaggart said on your show. She said bad relationships are better than no relationships. Is she saying that staying with an abusive person and accepting abuse is better than being on your own and good for your health? I'm glad you questioned her about her heart research because that seemed like a generalization. Anyway, I always love your shows. Well, Lisa, we love that you love them. Ernie wrote, what impresses me the most about you is not just regarding your approach to how you conduct and produce each show, but it is in your willingness to call out or challenge your guest whenever you feel there's a need to do so. Because when you do that, it confirms for me that you understand the enormous responsibility and privilege you ultimately have with your show. This platform I feel you use with respect, with the respect it deserves, because each and every time you challenge or question any one of your guests, you're speaking for so many of us who do not have the access to these people that you have. Well, thanks for the note, Ernie. And I do see provocative enlightenment as a service, so I sincerely appreciate your comment. Mary wrote, I love your show, and I re-listen to many of the topics. Truly an eye-opener and mind-opener. Keep up the great work. Now, that's a nice, pithy comment. Thank you, Mary. Lucero wrote, Elder's work is amazing. His Hay House radio show, Provocative Enlightenment, is full of wisdom. Well, thank you, Lucero. 
Patterson wrote, I think you're a genius. I read mine program. want to get my hands on everything you ever wrote. I respect your opinions and education. Thanks again, and keep up the research and essays. You've reached me. Thank you, Patterson. Finally, I received this note from Burgett. Thank you, Eldon, for the way you give and receive, believing in you and now also in me. I'm honored by your words, Burgett, and may you always believe in yourself. I like that one. You know, we close every show with believe in yourself. I, I like that one. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at eldontaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming. I highly value your input, and I do encourage you to please provide your feedback. And once again, thank you for your continued support. Now to today's show, The Hidden Power of Past Lives. We have had a couple of guests on the show that have discussed reincarnation theory and evidence. Personally, for what it's worth, I do think there is a lot of traction to the idea of reincarnation, but among my many colleagues, this is an idea that challenges their religious and or educational beliefs. So I prefer to approach the subject from the perspective of its potential therapeutic value. Now let me unpack that some. Whether you're ready to accept the idea that each of us may live many lives in our process of learning and becoming enlightened or not, if you step back and think of this approach as a therapy, then it's much easier to accept the value gained from the approach. Let's assume, for example, that you find yourself continually sabotaging your own best efforts. You see a regression therapist, and that therapist proceeds to use hypnosis to send you back to a prior life. Now, the fact that the therapist suggests a prior life during a hypnosis session will almost always trigger an accommodation. That is, while under hypnosis, you will usually fulfill the needs of the suggestion given you. In other words, whether you have had a prior life or not, the data shows that the vast majority of people placed in this environment will indeed recall or confabulate a past life. With each suggestion, the detail will become clearer and more impressive. So the therapist may suggest that you look at the clothes you are wearing, the place that you find yourself in, the bed that you sleep in, and so forth, all enriching the process. Now, once in this past life, a good therapist will endeavor to uncover the hidden unconscious strategies that lead you to your self-destructive behavior. And what do you know? A storyline will often develop. Let's just create one such possibility. Let's say that in a prior life, you discover that you became very successful only to draw the attention and ire of a powerful group who had you imprisoned. Now, in your current life, you fear retaliation and even imprisonment if you succeed, so you sabotage your own efforts. But, of course, you do this unconsciously. Now, from a therapeutic perspective, discovering and releasing this irrational fear has been successful. So who really cares if the past life was factually real or not? Now, with that said, please do understand that many do indeed believe in past lives. And again, there is some compelling evidence that supports this assertion. 
You should also know that the early Christians believed in reincarnation, and it wasn't until the Third Ecumenical Council at Nicaea that most of the references to reincarnation were removed from what today we know as the Bible. This is an area that I personally have researched and where there are stories that have been shown to be fraudulent, like the famous Bridie Murphy account. There nonetheless are those stories that cannot be so easily dismissed. Indeed, we have a medical doctor who has documented over 2,500 stories from children of past lives joining us in November. A recent headline news story of one child's account of their life as a fighter pilot during World War II defies our rational means of explanation. This child, James Leiniger, knew far too much, including call signs and combat details that were verified by a living member of the fighter group. Now, I received an advanced copy of our guest book today before it was published. I was so impressed that I provided a blurb for the book, something I rarely do. This is what I wrote. I've studied philosophy and religion most of my life. During my adventure, I've looked into many paths and secret societies and even served at the highest of levels in ancient orders, all on my quest to become enlightened. Common to almost all of this work is the understanding generally referred to as reincarnation. Even in the Christian tradition, even the Christian tradition is full of references that can only be to past lives. With this background, I must admit that I've never read anything as clear and cogent as Sandra's distilled teachings from her many years of research and collaboration on the subject. Deep within your subconscious mind exists information that propels you. Whether you think past lives are real or not, you'll want to read this book for the power and insight gained from this perspective. Okay, by now you know my bias, so let's meet the author of the great new book, The Hidden Power of Your Past Lives, Revealing Your Encoded Consciousness. Sandra Ann Taylor is an international speaker, counselor, and consultant who lectures throughout the world on the power of eternal consciousness and personal energy. Her popular radio show, Living Your Quantum Success, explores these principles and offers insight, advice, and readings to people all over the world. It can be heard right here on Hay House Radio every Monday. For more than 25 years, Sandra has been a counselor in a private psychology practice working with individuals and couples in the treatment of anxiety, depression, addiction, and relationship issues. Her Quantum Life Coaching Program offers powerful techniques for connecting spirit, mind, and manifestation. Her multidimensional approach brings exceptional clarity and practicality to the science of whole life healing and personal achievement. So let's get her in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Sandra Ann Taylor. Well, thank you, Eldon. It's my pleasure. It's such a pleasure to be back on your show. Well, indeed, it's our pleasure, pretty lady. So now let, let's begin by having you tell our audience how and when you became interested in past lives. Well, I am... Um actually investigated it when I was dealing with some health issues in my early 20s, but I kind of just played around with it. But when I went into my psychological practice and I was doing a regression, it was now it was not a past life regression. I had this uh, client who was severely agoraphobic and she was housebound. She came in at the age of 15, hadn't been in to uh, school for like four years, and she had no memory before the age of nine or 10. And so I thought there might be something, as you know, uh, we often repress memories because of trauma in childhood. So I was actually just doing a regression 
to try to get some information about something that may have happened in her childhood in this life. And she went into what I call a spontaneous regression. Uh, She bypassed everything in this life, and what she started to see was the fact that um, she was a beggar in front of this church, and she said during her hypnosis, how can this be? I'm older now than I am, you know, in in this life. And Mm -hmm. um, so she just described this, where she was deformed, and she was begging at this church that had a big dome, and People were coming out of the church and pushing her away, and one man even spat on her and and called her disgusting. And um, it was clear that um, she was filled with shame, but she had to do this. And, and a few kind people would throw a, a, a penny or so in, in her way. She was doing this to save her life and to, to put food on her table. Um, but when she came out of it, she realized that her social phobia. Um, She had this deep shame, deep fear of rejection, and um, she described the church in detail, and I, from her description, I thought it might be St. Paul's in London. And so the following week for our next session, I brought a bunch of pictures and um, of synagogues and mosques and little chapels and all sorts of things, and the last one I showed her was uh, St. Paul's, and she said, that's it, that's where I was begging. That's where people were mean to me. And this actually, we had been working the traditional cognitive, behavioral, systematic desensitization, all sorts of stuff that treats phobia. And she was getting a little bit of headway with it. But when we did this and we unpeeled and did some rescripting around that, releasing it, doing some affirmations around it, some meditations on, on creating a present truth for her, it accelerated her progress immensely. And after that experience, I was hugely interested in, as you said, the therapeutic effect of it, even when you're not directing a past life regression. <laughs> when, even right. when you're just like, let's, let's look into what's causing your pain now, and it goes directly to this past life. It, it was fascinating to me. And I had, in the course of time, I had several people who went into these spontaneous regressions. Now, I mean, so you heard the setup piece. How do you yeah. treat those who seek your advice but don't believe in reincarnation? I mean, you still use the therapy, but or, or, or do you? Do you just you depend on it to come out in a spontaneous way? How do you how do you approach that if if someone says to you, oh, you know, I I don't believe in reincarnation? Well, if they're if they're not, you know, if there's not a readiness or a willingness to kind of explore that. I, I'll let it be for a while, and if, if they want to continue working on the levels of personal consciousness in this life, which, of course, you know, past life stuff, it go, does encode um, certain directions, and that's what my subtitle's about, Revealing Your Encoded Consciousness. And what we don't realize is that we have this um, this tendency, then, to set up similar you know, parameters in this life of behavior, expectation, uh, fears, um, all sorts of self-esteem stuff. And so um, what we can do is start from the present life. There's got to be something in the present life that also supports this the, the type of stuff that we right. can find. And sometimes that naturally leads. Many people will then start having dreams. Yeah, or, or you know, triggered associations where something triggers a, a, a thought from 
possibly a past life, and it kind of opens the door in a more natural way. Right. For what it's worth, you probably do this too, but in my practice I used to have them divide themselves, first person to second person, understanding that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that person that wants what they want, and there must be this person that is resisting that. And that often led to spontaneous. But in your book, you mentioned Bridie Murphy in the first chapter. And you quite correctly pointed out how her story swept the country, bringing the idea of reincarnation into the forefront, Mm -hmm. forefront, I should say, of the public dialogue. Still, just for the record, the story's been pretty well debunked. So now my question, Sandra, do you think the debunking of popular stories such as this one or the discovery of people making stuff up for whatever reason harms the acceptance of past life therapy? Well, while the story has been... Some, as you say, pretty much debunked. Um, there are some people that still believe that, it, although she had information from the neighbor, there's all sorts of stuff. And I did cite the book that they can get both sides from. There is a book mm-hmm. out there that has both right. sides of the argument. Um, uh, you know, there there could be some threads of Now, reality. you say from her neighbor. Are you talking about the neighbor whose name was Bridie Murphy Corkle? Um, I, you know what, I, I it was... A while ago that I researched that, and that was probably it. That was probably it. I think that was the final blow for most of the skeptics, discovering that her, you know, her inner neighbor, you know, her neighbor's childhood days, there was a a neighbor called Bridie Murphy Corkle, and and she used to, she got the brogue, the Irish brogue, she got the name, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, all presumably from there. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. But she also, and they researched, she also named people from, you know, 100 years earlier that she wouldn't have learned in the childhood. So there's like threads of like, you know, this is like totally made up and threads of how could she have known her father-in-law's name and profession and her grocer's name? Now, the account that I have said none of that was available. None of that was actually verified. Oh yeah, some of it was the, the, the now the account I read some of it was available that was absolutely mm, interesting. Terrifying. Okay, that they right. went to they went to this county or and this and the um, they looked up the names that she was given and, uh, and there were uh, three or four names that were verified. But anyway, the point is, I you know I I just put that in there so that people could kind of research it. There's also right. from India um, that you can. You can, like, no, that, no it's a good point. I didn't mean to question that, Sandra. My my question was, uh, do you think that that general tone, that skeptical tone, or this mis, you know, when when you find this kind of information, it tends to discredit uh, the field. Uh, in in my view, do you find that to be the instance or not? No, you know what? I like to present all sides of things because I, you know, I don't want people to. Just kind of be like sheepish and think, you know, whatever. I, I'll buy in, into anything. You know, if Shirley MacLaine's selling it, I'll buy it. <laughs> Although I, you know, she actually put my Sought stuff in her newsletter. So, uh, but you know what I mean? I like to cover it because um, even I have had so many people come to my workshops and seminars and say, you know, do a regression and then do a rescripting and say... Okay, we're going to have to hold it on that one, Sandra. We've got the heartbreak coming up. I know you know that. Uh, The book is The Hidden Power of Past Lives. We have a film in the chat room featuring Sandra Ann Taylor. You'll want to catch that. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. 
We're talking again with Sandra Ann Taylor about the hidden power of past lives. If you're not already in the chat room, do go there. Do watch the film. It's all about her new book. Just go to eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. Stay with us during the break. You won't want to miss what's coming up. And we'll be right back after these words from some of our friends. Every day, every moment, we face choices. Yet, how many of those choices are truly our own? Are you ready to step onto the path of discovery? Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions. Now revised, updated, and expanded. Eldon combines provocative information, scientific research, and his own life's journey into a powerful message that we have the power to change. All we must do is be willing to choose to take the chance and change. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Eldon's international best-selling book, Mind Programming, is a must-read if you wish to live awake in a world of sheeples. Film producer Jeff Warwick had this to say about mind programming. Dr. Eldon Taylor's new book is a must-read. If you've ever questioned your purpose in life or felt bound by a culture that's driven by mass media, you now have at your fingertips the knowledge and tools to break the chains of this cycle. Eldon goes in-depth to illustrate and expose how we've been programmed from birth by social constraints, and he methodically reveals the psychological techniques that advertisers, politicians, corporations, and the media use to control us. He then provides strategies and solutions to free your mind from these tactics and rise to a new level of consciousness. As you read this book, you'll feel the blinders being removed and will truly see the world in an entirely new light. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Sandra Ann Taylor about the hidden power of past lies. All right. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook and or follow me on Twitter. If you like our show, spread the word. We genuinely appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. Before the break, Sandy, we were discussing the whole Bridie Murphy thing, but I think, yeah. you know, the bottom line is we can, let's, let's let that go. As, yeah, well, as I, I indic- just want to close with saying that there are some people that have attended, um, actually several people that have either read the book or uh, done the conferences that I do and done a regression and said they had an awareness, I, like I understand my life in a whole different way. And as you were saying at the very top of the hour, the therapeutic effect of this, whether it's some sort of um, parallel universe or an actual past life or whatever, the therapeutic effect of realizing that there's a deep indoctrination, a voice within or an, an expectation that encodes our, our direction in this life, it's so liberating and empowering to know, oh, okay, I can change that. That's an old thing or it's an inappropriate thing, and I can move in a different direction. That's very well said, and that, that is a very powerful modality indeed. It, you know, there is something to be said as a patient um, that's gained by approaching it this way, and that's that there's a reasonable a reasonable means of deniable, deniability, if you will, that, meaning that, okay, I'm sabotaging myself, but I have a reason for that as opposed to taking a brunt for 
you know, I'm doing it, but but I have no idea why I'm doing it. And I guess it's some silly, stupid thing. As opposed to that, having some real, you know, place to displace the responsibility. There's some great healing power to that. I'm sure there you is. found that. Absolutely. It's very empowering. And I have to say, from my own regressions and rescripting, I the, the regressions are so visceral. They're so real. You, you, you sense you are immersed in the energy, the emotion, the sensations of what's going on. And you can absolutely feel a difference once you come out of that, when, when you bring that understanding to the present life. Yeah, true catharsis. Okay. As I indicated in the setup piece, Sandra, uh, there are many references in the Bible to reincarnation, or at least to living more than one life. And you cite some in your book right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Share yeah. a couple of them with our audience. Well, actually... Um, in Matthew, uh, Jesus refers to um, John the Baptist in a number of different places where they ask, who is he and um, who are you talking about here? And he says that, that um, you know, I say unto you that Elias is come. And that this is referring to the Old Testament prophecy that Elijah, who is also called Elias, Elijah will come to pave the way for the Savior. And so um, Jesus actually says that I say unto you that Elias has come, and he is John the Baptist. So it's clearly a reference. And you did not recognize him. Yes, and you don't. Yes, and so it's clearly a reference to another incarnation of a previous, you know, identity of this soul that has been called Elias and is now John the Baptist. You can't get around the fact that that's reincarnation. No, that's pretty hard. And, and, you know, most people aren't aware that there was actually a hunt to remove any and all of those verses because there was the the idea prevalent at the time was if people believe that there is another life, then, you know, they'll mess up more on this life. Right. Uh, You know, so at any rate, there was actually a purging of that material, an intentional purging of that material. It was. And it was it was intentional. And it was, as you said, to empower the authorities to make the people do, you know, stay in un, in control under their agenda. You know, let's stop the quote sinning and and you know get these people under control. So yeah, you're right. It's if they the think agenda more than life. anything. If they think they have another life, they won't follow us right. as faithfully. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you had a near death experience, yes, and. You know, I'd like to have you share that, if you wouldn't mind, with our audience and how it impacted your view of reincarnation. Uh, it was, it was, you know, one of the biggest blessings of my life. I was, um, I've had consistent problems with respiratory stuff, and I have to tell you that the regressions and rescripting have helped me immensely. A couple of times, I um, almost died, and in this one case, I was traveling to a conference in London. And um, I had recovered somewhat from a previous respiratory problem, but it was obviously not enough because it had really um, come back at me. And I was in a London hotel, and I thought, well, I, I had taken my meds, and I thought, well, it's not working. I thought, got in the bathtub, and I couldn't. And in the mirror across from the bathtub, I saw that my my uh, lips were turning blue. My fingers were turning blue. I couldn't breathe, and I, you know, I thought I'm, you know, I'm going to die here. 
and I kept resisting. And then I and I said, I can't die here. I'm away from family and friends. And then I thought, you know what? If it's my destiny to die here, go ahead, spirit. Whatever I'm supposed to do, let's do it. And as soon as I thought that, I shot out of my the top of my head, my crown chakra, just shot out, and I was moving to this light in the distance, which is so cliche, but it is actually the truth. However, it wasn't in a tunnel of light. It was on a field of light. And as I looked to each side of me, I saw lights moving on this large, expansive black field, um, moving to their own lights also. And I even had the thought, well, they must be dying too. And when I got to the light, it was this so powerful, almost blinding light. And there was a river there. I was standing on a ridge, and there was a river below me, and um, a man who had been dressed in kind of like what I would call in today monk, a kind of garb of a monk, monk's dress. And um, across the river uh, were all the deceased people, not all, but um, my father who had passed in a car accident, my grandmother, his mother, uh, several relatives, even animals that had passed. And there were other people that I didn't recognize there. Um, And I, you know, I had longed to be with my father because I never got a chance to say goodbye. So I stood on that ridge and I kept looking at him and we could communicate through kind of mental stuff. And I, and I said, I, you know, I want to be with you. And he said, you know, you'll be with me in the blink of an eye. And I thought, well, if I'm going to die so soon anyway, why not just pass on now? And he said, no, in eternal time, it's the blink of an eye, of, of an eye. in real time. In spirit time, it's the blink of an eye. You're going to go back. If you go back, it will be a long, long time. But really, in reality, it's the blink of an eye. And so I couldn't decide because I really wanted to be with him. But finally, I looked at the monk and he said, well, you know, you have more to do. And I, this was before I had adopted my two children from Russia, before I had written my first book, before, you know, I had done a lot of the things that I'm doing now. And wow. I said to I said to myself, yeah, I know I have. And before I even finished the sentence, I had there was a, an, an acquiescence, and, and I said, yes, I know I have. <laughs> I snapped right back, just so fast and so forcefully that water actually came out of the bathtub when I snapped back into my body. So I just laid there and and kind of slowly recovered, and slowly I regained my breath was able to climb out of the tub and just kind of make it through the night. And um, I was much better the next morning. And it was, it was, it taught me so much. It taught me that, you know, life for sure is eternal. And there is, you know, and so many scientists, and you know, I mean, you look at things very analytically and that, you know, the doctors and the scientists say that it's just random neuropeptides firing when people have near-death experiences, right? Some, You've heard that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, we've had Nelson on our show, and, 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 and we've really dealt into that. But I think when you're all said and done, go ahead. I'm, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to cut off what you're going to say. The fact well, is, you're right. Some of yeah. them argue for that. Yes, Not but I have the to majority, say this, but, yeah. I have to say this in response to that. I am an identical twin, and I have a twin um, sister that, is, that was alive at that time and is still alive. Uh, and um, I have to say that 90% of my functioning up until that time, or at least 80%, had had memories with, you know, that twin sister. We did things together. We grew up together. We lived together, lived on the same street even when we were apart. 
Now, if it were just random firing of memories, wouldn't I have at least one flash of her? One flash of a living relative, not a single one. It was only the deceased. The devil's advocates of um, uh, NDE experiences, since you brought that up, essentially argue that... uh, it, it, it's a kind of REM. It takes place in an area of the brain that has been identified in both humans and, and non-human animals um, and occurs anatomically during a, an NDE. That said, however, that doesn't, and Nelson himself, who did this work on this show, uh, agreed me, that does not preclude the possibility that you are not genuinely having this experience. So, yeah. uh you know, it, what it does this. is it actually explains, in my view, some of the so-called NDEs, like Ray Moody has one in his book where the person meets Elvis Presley. Um, they seem <laughs> a little incredible. So that to me, little, you know, I think we that mechanism that actually offers an explanation as opposed to uh, challenge the whole process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I did a very lengthy uh, investigation of life after death. Indeed, we have a special promotion coming up where, you know, people will be able to hear uh, more than a dozen interviews that I did with the experts of experts on this. And some of them make it up. You know, I'm convinced that some of them are just, you know, they they're not credible because they make statements that are outside possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one person that I will not name at this point in time indicated to us that every time you had an NDE, you had an increase in IQ. And indeed, if you had a dark hole NDE, you'd have an IQ of over 200. Well, you know, and I talked to you, you, you work in psychology all day long. Yeah. I, I talked to a stat psych friend of mine in Utah, Dr. Charles McCusker. And Charles says, what instrument is that? It's certainly not the Binet or the Wexler. I mean, we don't get IQs that high, you know. So, I mean, there there are those questions. But, I agree. But when I think when the bottom food. line is all said and done, the evidence clearly supports life beyond uh, what we think of as the grave. Oh, absolutely. So, and you state in your book that everything is happening now. In other That's words, right. there really is no future. Please unpack that idea for us, will you? Well, um Proponents of the theory of the time-space continuum say that all time exists at the same time. Now, this is extremely hard for us human minds to get, you know, into the the meaning of, to wrap our minds around. However, I have to say that um, the way I interpret it is that if all time exists at the same time, then as we move through sequential time, this moment to the next moment, there's a density of vibration that we take with us. And the past is existing in a a different density of vibration, and the future potential exists in a different density of vibration. This explains the phenomenon of deja vu. Um, And, you know, people who have the sensation that, oh, I've been here, I know what Mm -hmm. this person is going to say next. I've had several deja vus where... Um, I've actually remembered them as dreams, and then when they came, the deja vu thing came up, it flashed as, oh, yeah, I remember that as a dream. And it was partially because what happens is we astral project. We, we Our etheric body leaves and kind of visits different times and places and comes back. Then we move through sequential time. We get to that moment that we visited, 
and it's revealed to us. And it's just a flash. It's always, deja vu is always in the minor moments of our life. Very few people have had a deja vu moment in a significant event, like while they were getting married or, you know, in a surgery or death or something like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's just these minor things that exist in potential, and, um, you know, we have an, a consciousness of that. So that's what okay. the time-space continuum kind of, you know, represents. And that's why but, when I... But here and now... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, that's why when I did the, the CD that goes with the book, The Hidden Power of Your Past Lives, I didn't want to, you know, so many people have the regressions, and there's so much therapeutic effect to regression itself. But I said, let's not stop there. Let's rescript it. Let's rewrite it. Let's change it and change the conclusions and the emotions that are encoded. So if we can go back in time to visit, we can go back in time and rewrite it. If it's existing in vibratory rate, we can change the vibration there and what's encoded in our consciousness. I like the CD, by the way, Sandra. I oh, thank you. That earlier, so I'm glad you brought it up. Now, uh, you know, this is provocative enlightenment, so I walked you into a setup. <laughs> you uh, always do, Eldon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the problem with everything is present, and there are, as you say, those theoreticians that, that have it in that place, is that we're suddenly then forced into a predestination plight, aren't we? I mean, what do you do about that? I don't, be- I don't believe, I believe that our lessons are predetermined, but I don't believe the big events of our lives are necessarily predetermined. There are people who teach reincarnation and um, say that even the moment of your death is predetermined. I don't believe that. I believe that our future exists in potential and that as we change our consciousness and move in different directions um, in this moment, in the present moment, it changes the vibration of what's happening. It's not that it's just existing in a potential energetic state. Okay, now you and I have had the the opportunity to to have conversations, uh, you know, both on your show, on my show, and mm-hmm. you know, and independent of that. Sure. So you're you're very aware that every action, every thought, everything that you're going to do is given to your conscious by your subconscious, and you've just got milliseconds. To, to alter that, mm-hmm. uh, if everything is all laid out, it, it's all pretty well, the, the, you know, the, all of the tests, as you say, are there in front of us. It would seem to me that you're saying our choice about how we handle those tests is the only option we have, and yet we have just this millisecond of time frame to deal with making that choice. How do you see we, we escape that enigma? No, I, I have to, first of all, I have to, to change the language there. I said that our okay. lessons are laid out. Our test implies like, oh, I'm going to go through a divorce or I'm going to have, you know, some okay, significant okay. disease. Our lessons. That is, uh, the lessons are, are, to me, more abstract. Like a life lesson is to learn self-love, to learn self-empowerment, to learn how to speak your truth, to stand in your, 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 your truth and your strength. Those, to me, are our life lessons. Those are the things that I think our soul brings in in a, in a general way. And our life moves through situations that bring us opportunities to do that. So it's not that the test is, um, like, like I'm, I'm being tested at this moment that I get this diagnosis of bronchial infection or whatever. 
It's that the lesson is, okay, what does this mean to me? Every time I get bronchitis, it's, a, it's representative of, and I've done past life things, I, it's, it's a pattern prison for me, and it literally represents uh, a pit prison. I've had past lives where I it was in cells that I could hardly breathe in. And, and when I get bronchitis, I'm overworking myself. It is so consistent. It is so consistent. And my option then, it doesn't have to be in a millisecond. I can realize, oh, man, here it comes again. This has been a life after life lesson where I have to choose to honor and prioritize myself and I have to make some changes, see a few less clients, do this differently, whatever. So it's a process, not a spontaneous kind of, it's a process of learning. See, of course, I would probably add there what we really need to do is just change the content of the the material that is in our mind that we make our choices from. Um, Right, and and that's uh, part of that process. Let's let's stay with your pattern for a moment. Understanding karma and and what you call encoded consciousness, you know, explain that for us, will you? Well, you know that scientists call uh, consciousness or often I'm never going to say anything is is unilateral here anymore. Um, Many scientists call, define, or describe consciousness as a field of information, and I believe our individual consciousness is a field of information about ourselves. And when we apply um, the concept of consciousness-created reality to the individual experience, the sphere of human experience and uh, human achievement, we need to know that our consciousness does create our reality. So our field of information about ourselves, how we perceive ourselves, what we expect in the world, how we image things, and the history and emotional reactive patterns that we carry with us, all that's a part of our consciousness, and it moves forward and creates. It creates reality. Consciousness creates reality. I firmly believe that. Um, and so uh, what, what I wanted to do is expand. I've spoken about that in most of my books about attraction and mag- magnetism and and uh, the the human um, process of you know achieving what we want to achieve in a way that's more enlightened and empowered. However, I felt that it wasn't enough because I feel like our inco- our consciousness pre-existed this lifetime. That just like our 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 soul pre-existed this lifetime, we carry some stuff in from previous lifetimes from. And we carry stuff in from the realm between lifetimes. We carry our soul information. So all that, I believe, becomes a part of our individual code that we are brought here to deal with and to learn from and to grow from. And that's uh, what I see as our encoded consciousness. So if I was left at the altar in a past life, I might be longing, longing, longing for love. And and I might have spent that whole life longing for that love, and I might bring that longing in an emotional content, and yet I might also bring in the belief that men can't be trusted and and love isn't safe. And so here I have this conflicting intention. I long for love, yet it's not safe for me. And so what kind of consciousness does that create? What kind of energy does that project? Just being aware of that is an important piece of discovery and um, peeling back the layers of it is an important piece of change. You know, you you brought up your other books, and I was going to let this one go, but we have a question out of the chat room from a from a regular 
Uh, he says, Eldon, you voiced a pretty strong thought about laws, like those asserted in The Secret and subsequent works is clearly not laws. Sandra speaks in her book also about such laws. Now, he's not talking about the current book, The Hidden right. Power. I was That's why I was going to let it go. <laughs> uh, could you ask her about her use of this logically erroneous notion? All right, Sandra, what he's really talking about is uh, I, I've discussed you know, the immutability of, of certain laws. We say the law of gravity is a law because gravity works like a law. Right. When you look at the law of attraction, it, you, you, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but are you saying that it always works like gravity, or are you using this more like a, a legalistic sense, a, a code? Well, First of all, it drives me crazy that people say the law of attraction. There's more than one law that works in the universe, and there's, there's I love more the idea than you were going to say that. There's more than one law in this field of human experience, and in some ways, um, it, it, it's not a law that like the universe punishes you if you break the law. It indicates patterns, patterns of energetic response, and patterns of consciousness created reality. All right, so, but we're getting out I of time here, and I want to I want to get back to the book. So you, just okay. for the record, you are not seeing law like a law in physics, like the law of gravity. Uh, no, immutable, it's inspired by... Think it, you always get it. Yeah, no, it's a pattern. No, okay. no, no, no. All right. That's the what book. I wrote my last book about, Truth, Triumph, and Transformation, all the misinformation out there about this stuff. There you go. The book is called The Hidden Power of Past Lives. It's by Sandra Ann Taylor. Sandra... You have a promotion on that book in 10 seconds. Tell us yeah, how we can get it. Yeah, just go to hiddenpoweryourpastlives.com, hiddenpoweryourpastlives.com, and you can get enrolled for a lot of free giveaways, big reading giveaways, $500 prizes, and um, you'll be also receiving a lot of things. Um, great read, great therapeutic process. I'm sorry, Sandra, we're out of time. Okay. I hope you've all enjoyed the show. We're... We, very glad that you were able to join us. If you have comments, please do let us know. Until next time, believing in yourself always matters.